Welcome to Urban Alchemy Podcast, your number one destination for pop culture, news, and entertainment. I'm Eric Hawthorne. And I'm Jan Banks. We want to give a very special shout out to our listeners, and we want to tell y'all that we really appreciate your continued support. First, in order to keep up with us, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and share the show. Also, for our Facebook users, search Urban Alchemy on Facebook and join the community. It's interactive, growing, and you'll be able to receive the most up-to-date information on the podcast and what we're doing in the Kansas City area. So, bro, what's been going on with you lately? Oh, not too much going on my way. That's a lie. I always say not too much, but I have a million billion things going on. Uh, Just first off, a reminder, we are now on the Pitch Podcast Network brought to you by Adori Labs. A special shout out to us and our other comrades on that network. Streetwise, we got Downtown Dish, we got Missouri Loves Company. We got a lot of great shows that you guys should check out and help us support the Kansas City podcast community that we got growing here. We got a bunch of individuals on that network along with us that are help bringing us content from every corner of the community here in Kansas City. If you want to expand your your horizons and culture, uh, just go outside of your norm, please check out that network and I guarantee you will find something new and something original. So I am so happy and honored to have our broadcast featured on that network too as the voice of our community. So shout out to us as well. So we are doing a lot of great things. As stated, we are also going back to releasing music here on our episode outro so make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode for that music for the episode will be provided by our old friend of the show dre period with his new track better than this please check out that individual he is a dope young artist and everybody we've had on this show featured is our dope young artist so please check them out as well shout out to faith smitty the kid styles the artiste obi-wan music uh, handsomely rich kings huey ali don grammar tresh jones hosey t lewis confliction midwest saloon there's so many individuals out here doing so much great music and if you'd like to check that music out please visit us on spotify at urban alchemy playlist we got all the dope music we have featured on our episodes right there so if you are interested in looking up any of those artists please support them as well excited to be here for another great film review here on our monday media reviews so yeah we'll tell the folks what we got for them today You know, last week we talked about the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Well, we decided to take it back into one of our more retro reviews of the 2014 film Whiplash. But what I noticed about Whiplash after rewatching, and I'm sure you did as well, is that does this film necessarily fit in a modern context? As in, would it be able to get made today? Basically. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, It'd be looked at as uh, harassing and bullying and and racist and homophobic. And there's just, and not even because there's a lot of homophobic lines. There's a few lines of homophobia. There's a few lines of racism, but it's all done in the aspect of the overarching story. Still, no, I don't, I don't, I think if it did get made, it would be on a lesser scale, so to speak. It might not have so many big names attached to it because they don't want that heat to be brought on them. Definitely. After re-watching this film, I definitely thought to myself, a lot of the dialogue would have to be changed. A lot of the interactions between the main characters would have to be changed as well in order to fit in a modern context. And that's crazy because we're talking about a film that just came out seven years ago. But with today's social media presence and the cancel culture that we have going on, I just simply don't feel like this film would be successful in theaters 
years, let alone in this day of COVID, being successful at home. I think that that would give ammunition for the social justice warriors since they don't really have anything to do right now. <laughs> yeah, just rewatch everything. <laughs> right. Isolate incidents. Yeah. And I, I think that that takes away from the overall message of this film, because this is one of the best films that I've ever seen. I think this is definitely a film that's in my top 10 of films, definitely in the top three within the decade between 2010 and 2020. I really enjoyed this film. Uh, what about you, bro? Absolutely. Definitely one of my top films in terms of acting, in terms of story, in terms of character development, just the way you right. see the main character's progression, his overall arc is just something phenomenal to watch. Just it combines my love of film and my love of music, because as I stated on the last episode, I was a band kid in high school. Being in a, in a band classroom again with that kind of, it, it's just such a different feeling for anyone who's never been there. Just the, the feeling of... Uh, you're an individual. Everybody has their own individual pieces, but it all comes together to make one cohesive sound. It's it's just the relationships you build with people just in your section right. or, or just within your instrument. You play the people, other people in that that section. And then you have your your actual section, your, your woodwinds, your brass, your percussion. And then you guys build a bond and then you guys as the band build a bond. And then you have the bond with the director, the, the you know, your music instructor. At times, it can almost feel adversarial. So to see that relationship played out in film was something I never thought I would see. And I never thought I would see it played out in the context that they did it. He would not be able to fly. And he's abusive. He's, he's not even bullying these, this kid. He's, he's like just straight up verbally and physically at certain points abusive. Right. Yeah, so when I kind of think about it, I just think about a lot of the films that you and I enjoyed growing up. They were they would not get made. I mean, Pulp Fiction's definitely one of them Off for the many table. reasons. I mean, the overuse of drugs, so they would probably talk about mm. um, dependency issues nowadays. Uh, there's Marcellus a lot of, gets raped. Huh? Marcellus Wallace gets yes, raped. Uh, yeah, Ving Rhames' character gets raped towards the end of the film by... Uh, Two people? Uh, one. one. One watches. Yeah, and one watches. So. Zed. Yes. Yeah, That's how great that movie is. You just remember little details. Yeah. So, but I, I can see several Quentin Tarantino movies not getting made. Uh, particularly, I would say Inglorious Bastards because it, they would say it softens what the Holocaust really was about, especially I would say they would probably say, no, this is an accurate history. This is distorted history towards the end, even though Adolf Hitler, it shot probably about a hundred times in the face. I would say in today's day and age, they would say, why do you have to have this Anglo-Saxon man leading the Jews? Like, why can't you have a strong Jewish male leader of this group? Why does Brad Pitt have to? It people get be, offended for them. Yes, it would be the Generation Z and some millennials that get offended and say, no, this is how the Jewish community should feel about this particular film. Yeah. But uh, same thing with Django. Uh, people don't think you should make light of slavery or make things that aren't historically word for word for Mandingo fighting. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, but it, it you're right. It, it's absolutely a lot of films that would not see the light of day if certain groups had their way. I just couldn't even imagine them altering certain films or taking chunks out to, you know, I'm not a fan of Quentin Tarantino saying dead nigger storage in Pulp Fiction, but I wouldn't want to watch the film with that, that scene taken out or 
any scene. You know, there's the Steve Buscemi has a scene in Reservoir Dogs where he's saying, you're acting like a bunch of niggers. You know, that's why they get caught. You know, I, I guess I'm just not for censorship altogether as long as it's not hurting. Yeah. So that's why we decided to talk about Whiplash. It is a film that he and I both love today. Would people love it? Like I said, this film came out in 2014, so only seven years ago. It's uh, written and directed by Damien Chazelle, a young, talented writer, director, uh, but he's only made two other films, La La Land, and his most recent film was First Man, which was in 2018. Now, this film has a great cast, but it really shines with its two main actors The I would say protagonist antagonist miles teller as andrew and breakout star of the movie who is jk simmons as a uh, terrence fletcher who is a conductor at shafe conservatory where miles teller's character is trying to get into well ultimately does get into would you like to give a breakdown of the story or how do you want to get into this bro yeah i mean damien chazelle is an amazing one of the i think going to be premier filmmakers that we're going to watch in our adulthood yes and see them become like the the big name that are associated with big hits but yeah the direction in this movie is as much a character as the two leads because the way it's shot is just so like to capture sound visually is super tough right but he does it in each and every scene almost i can't think of one scene in that movie where it's just like it's not working damien giselle of course he he's the director of the academy award-winning film la la land right i never saw that though i'm joking moonlight won the academy award that year oh okay oh yeah i do remember <laughs> uh that but la Poor la damien. land did win i think emma St- emma stone won that yeah yeah year. They, they won awards john legend also won for best song okay uh but in that just show what a class act he was because he just was straight up like no we didn't win moonlight won moonlight people could have been an asshole in that situation Mm -hmm. and been a baby and threw a fit but he was super cool about it he was just like i'm super happy for la la land you know come up here enjoy your moment but you know he is a cool person too just i love watching interviews with him and it shows why he's such a good filmmaker because he understands like to go from shooting a movie about this deep intense subject matter to making a full-blown happy-go-lucky musical mm-hmm. you know it's a tough tough transition he is definitely one of my favorite young directors like Wes Anderson Ryan Coogler you know in that class who I think are going to be able to push the envelope of what we know cinema to be but yeah uh, the the two actors I've always been a huge J.K. Simmons fan uh, and a lot of people know J.K. Simmons by the face but don't know his name or I think more recently his name has become more more commonly associated they know him by his voice because he plays the yellow M&M in the commercial also plays the uh, State Farm yes and he plays the iconic uh, J. J. Jonah Jonah Jameson Jameson. uh, in the original Spider-Man trilogy as well as the new uh, Spider-Man movie starring Tom Holland he was so good they broke reality they broke reality and bought him back from a character that he first portrayed in a 2001 movie they probably started shooting in 1999 2000 yes so this is how important this actor has been to the lexicon uh however in this film he is not a happy-go-lucky character i was gonna say for me my first interaction with him was as Vern schillinger 
on Oz. Okay. Where he is the antagonist amongst a cast of convicts. Oh, He's really? the head of the Aryan Brotherhood and an avid rapist. Like, the scariest, one of the scariest TV roles I have ever seen in my life. And then to see him switch from, like, comedy to drama to action and to see him in all these movies. I just saw him in... Um, Patriots Day, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was rewatching Patriots Day, and I was like, oh yeah, J.K. Simmons had a small role in here, and he did phenomenal. But, yeah, he always does. But yeah, he just has such amazing range in the way he's able to capitalize that on that in this movie, you know, being able to be very comforting and very welcoming. You almost want his acceptance. He's able to just go from zero to a hundred. It's so believable. Uh, Mouse Teller, who's also a great young actor, in being able to play this role as somebody who starts off very timid and naive and then becomes someone who's pretty much cutthroat and just like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the best. It's just an amazing testament to the filmmaking, to the writing, to the acting. And yeah, definitely one of my favorite films. Yeah, but this is probably uh, Miles' best role, if we're going to be completely honest. I mean, he hasn't really done anything substantial since. Small teen comedies, whatnot. But yeah, this was his magnum opus to date. Like, this was what made him a serious actor. Right. So basically, the beginning of the movie starts out where Miles Teller is approached by J.K. Simmons' character, and he's bought into the conservatory as a backup, basically. And so from there, he does some small competitions between band members and you know he eventually gets to be the lead drummer before he does that he brings them in uh from a junior and this fictional conservatory is pretty much based off juilliard like the top the best of the best he he pretty much he does jk simmons character fletcher he understands the dynamics of psychology so he pits one musician against the other to make them better musicians and he does that all through the movie and when he does get uh neiman's character does get to this top tier band jazz band he he pretty much puts him immediately against the uh, drummer who's already there, who they automatically paint as an a-hole, who's just like, turn my page. And you don't feel bad for him at all. I love interaction. The first, if you remember, Fletcher tells Neiman to be there at 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And he gets there. He wakes up late, actually, like 6.15 or something. He runs and he falls down the stairs. And then he gets there and he, he sees on the door, it's like 8 o'clock. Like class starts at eight o'clock. But Fletcher told him to be here like two hours early. Right. And so he's pretty much sleeping when everyone gets there. It reminds me of pledging a fraternity. Like you have to meet certain people. You have to do certain things at certain times. And a lot of it's bullshit just to see if you're going to do it. And Fletcher is one of those individuals who does that, but does it with, I think, a purpose. Would you say? Yeah, I would say there is a method to his madness. Yeah. Like especially because he woke up late. It was it was it was a very and I actually love this movie so much. I read the screenplay and yeah, you pick up certain clues like the way his name is actually uh, Naaman. Mm-hmm. But we, he calls him Neiman the mm-hmm. entire movie, and he never corrects him to the point where I always thought his character's name was Neiman. Mm-hmm. Until I read this, the screenplay, and it tells you pronounce Neiman, mm-hmm. and it even tells you at the first meeting is like he mispronounced his name, but he continues to call him that, and he never corrects him. And that just little subtle thing is just like you get the the psychology of it, like. If someone calls you Derek, mm-hmm. you're going to tell me, I'm sorry, no, my name is, is Eric. Right. Or, or Pawthorn. Or, right. It's not my name. I'm going to, but he's so, he wants it so badly. He doesn't want to do anything to jeopardize it. But yeah, it, it just really 
does a good job of building up the stakes for being in one of these top tier elitist music programs uh, like Juilliard, where it's just like cutthroat, like people have trained their entire lives for this opportunity. And, you know, as the movie goes on, we see these stakes, depths people will go to to get the part, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, there are great uh, depths that Naaman's character goes through. I mean, he actually ruins and severs several relationships in this movie in order to basically hone his craft. I mean, there's a relationship with his girlfriend, the relationship with his father and family, uh, particularly um, his, his family. He really... Alienates. alienates them. And I thought his father's performance uh, by Paul Reiser, which I was surprised he just came out of nowhere. I hadn't seen him since Mad About Mad You. About you. Uh, but Paul Reiser actually gives a pretty good performance as his father, as somebody who's concerned about his uh, young kid going to this conservatory of music with this professor. I mean, there is a stark contrast between uh, Paul Reiser's character and J.K.'s character. I think there is an excellent juxtaposition between them uh, as two of the male figures in Miles Teller's life. Uh, One is more meek, more mild, weak. Dad, I think at a certain point, Neiman starts to look at his dad as weak. Yeah, I think so, too. Unmotivated. Unmotivated. He Lukewarm, lackluster. Yeah, very milquetoast. Yeah, yeah. Just run the mill and it doesn't excite him to be around his father but it excites him and gives him this adrenaline rush when he's around Fletcher even though there is verbal physical uh, mental abuse coming from Fletcher but Fletcher is someone who wants to push you to excellence who wants to push you to greatness and he will find the smallest thing to irritate you to motivate you to make sure that you succeed and then you have somebody like Paul Reiser character who just wants you to be happy just wants you to be happy just wants the best for you yeah but how do you become the best version of yourself but i I guess it becomes a a matter of what do you want for your kid do you want your kid to be happy or do you want your kid to be great true fletcher wants you to be great fletcher doesn't want you to be necessary any means necessary and that's one of the important themes of this movie is fatherhood and who's really there for you right and uh, we'll get to it at the end i want to get too deep at the end. There's a very important scene at the end mm-hmm. where Neiman goes to the arms of his father after a super soul shattering situation we'll get into later where mm-hmm. uh, once again Fletcher has these psychological games he plays and he goes to the arms of his father crying and then returns to Fletcher in a sense. Right. And it's a very, we'll get to that. Very, you're, you're right about that juxtaposition between this strong, authoritative, talented man who, who's respected. Uh, even from the first scene where he walks into that junior class Neiman's in and takes over from this professor. And I, I've watched this movie so many times. You just break down the interactions, the nonverbal interactions, and just see the way Fletcher walks in. And he just looks, looks at the music. He's like, oh, cute. <laughs> and then he just goes through the line and, you know, little, little, little uh little little bullying going on give you a taste of what he's capable of right and he's just like yeah are you are you the first chair because you're pretty are you there because you're pretty or are you there because you're talented let's see oh you're just pretty and then you know he just goes down the line until he reaches his name and who's already met in the our, our establishing shot where i love that shot by the way where he walks in asks do you know who i am name and says yes 
why'd you stop playing? And then he just starts playing again. And then he, he stops and he's just like, you, you didn't say anything. You just start playing a wind up monkey. <laughs> and I, I loved it because it, it, they don't tell you anything about either of the character, but they set up how important Fletcher is because Neiman knows who he is. So he's somebody worth knowing through each shot. It's just an escalation of this abuse until finally we get to the first scene where Neiman arrives at this class and everybody is just traumatized almost right. from the point he puts his hand up and everybody's just like, you know, it's like you can hear a pin drop in this room because everybody knows don't fuck with Fletcher. And then sure enough, as soon as they start playing one of the songs, one of the tubas messes up or he says the tubas out of tune. Somebody's out of tune goes through. We ask him, who is it? Nobody answers. And he focuses in on one of the weaker students <laughs> and he asks him does he think he's out of tune and he's just like yes and then he starts berating him you know over his weight you know asking why is it why are you looking at the floor there's no mars bar down there right. you know telling him he's not going to lose the competition because he because he, he, your mind's on a happy meal instead of the part and then it turns out he wasn't even the one who was out of tune mm -hmm. it was another guy but he just didn't make it to him yet and that that just sets it up and then neiman's just like oh this is what i've signed up for when he speaks with Neiman separately, he's very caring. He's very concerning. Like, hey, just go in there, have fun. You know, just just do the part as best you can. We'll go slow. And then he gets in there, start messes up once. It's okay. Then he messes up again. He's like, all right, still not quite my tempo. Messes up third time, throws a chair at his head. And then the floodgates open. This is the dragging and rushing scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it's, it's, it's when we actually go to full-blown physical abuse. Right. right. Where you want to break that scene down? Well, basically, he's basically J.K. Simmons character, Terrence Fletcher, wants perfection. So he's trying to get to the bottom of what what's going on with this performance. Why are you messing up? And he's trying to get Naaman's character to critically analyze his own work. Am I what am I doing? Am I going too fast? Am I going too slow or what? And so he makes him repeatedly do the part over and over again. And he's like, OK, so you're dragging or rushing. He's like, uh, I don't know. He's so and, flustered. Yeah, he's he's flustered at this point in time. So then after that, uh, Fletcher starts slapping him. He's like, and he's like, now you're dragging or rushing as he's going along with the beat and the tempo. And he's trying to figure it out. And he slaps him several times until it clicks in Naaman's head that, OK, I've got to give this guy the correct answer or he's just going it's just going to get worse. It's just going to escalate. And finally, he figures it out. And then Fletcher's like, look, you're not going to jeopardize my performance. You need to understand what you're doing. You need to be on top of your game. Now, that's me saying into the kinder way. Yeah, he's paraphrasing. Yeah, definitely paraphrasing. But basically, Fletcher is a perfectionist. He's very anal retentive on his work and he demands perfection. I think that overall with Fletcher's character, it is that he's trying to get these kids to understand that it is a privilege to be here. It is a privilege to have me instruct you and you need to bring your a game because i'm going to bring my a game every single step of the way the and this is of the best right you know they always talk about the best of the best but he really wants the best of the best the perfect of the perfect and i think that you know fletcher instills something very darwinian 
survival of the fittest. True, true. Survival of the fittest is really a key component in this story. I mean, because Fletcher's motivations are to push you to greatness and he does not want any wink weak links in his production. I mean, it's just not going to fly. It's not going to win you any awards. It's not going to win you any prestige. And it's basically not going to win you any favors with critics or your audience. It's the weak link of a chain, especially in a band. One bad player can throw the whole piece off. And that's so true. Right. And I think mental conditioning is super important. Mental conditioning could be abuse, but done correctly, mental conditioning can save drug addicts from addiction. Right. And I, th- I don't think either one of us are advocating for any kind of abuse. We're, we're just pointing out that these are his motivations. This is his end game where he's trying to bring you from point A all the way to point Z. But that's his job. Like at, like he holds people kind of like the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. He okay. holds people and he has this soup Nazi from Seinfeld. For those of you who don't know, he's a guy who's anal retentive about his soup. He does not give his soup to everybody. He takes the soup back. He doesn't care about your money. He has a, a, a speech and it's kind of very uh, profound in a way because he says I put so much into my craft I expect people to do the bare minimum of what they can do to get the soup Mm-hmm. Pretty much that's Fletcher. He's done uh, a lifetime of work. He works at this prestigious college. His name is associated with competitions. He wins. Mm-hmm. So it's his livelihood. So if you're just some kid who's there to play music and have a good time because you like playing music, this is not the place for you. Definitely not. This Def- is the place to show the best of musicianship. This is a job. Yeah. Essentially. A career. You know, you have to be someone who wants to live, breathe the music, you have to study the notes on the paper. You have to literally bleed, which, I mean, Chazelle does a wonderful job in two different scenes in which Miles Teller's character has to bleed in order to want this. One in which he's playing the drums to the point where his hands start bleeding. Um, The other is where he gets in a car wreck and rushes to a performance that he's late to, but he does not want to give up the lead spot. Both of those are very important scenes. We could break those down real quick. Okay, go Uh, ahead. So after he gets to the band and he acquires the first chair, which first chair in the band is you're pretty much the head of the section. And so now the guy who was playing the drum set is just turning his pages Mm -hmm. uh, because the individual uh, gave him a folder, which got misplaced right and fletcher being the no-nonsense guy he is says you get demoted for that Mm -hmm. because it's your job to have the folder not his and mouse teller had been practicing because he didn't quit he wanted to be as great as fletcher thought he could be so he memorized the music and so that got him in the position where he was able to leeway that fletcher's like this kid's serious He's going to be first chair. Fletcher playing the mind games he plays. He brings in another alternate. I can't think of the guys, uh, but he brings in the alternate from the junior class. Connolly, I believe. Connolly. Yes, he brings in Connolly to be a motivator for Naaman. And he's more, you know, he starts off very nice to Connolly. And he's just like, oh, Connolly, you got it. Good job. You know, you're going to be the new first chair. And Neiman is furious. He flips his shit. And that's when you really see him starting to slip his slow descent into kind of obsession. 
Mm-hmm. And then they have this scene where it's just like a competition for the part. And they are all pushing themselves. He pretty much shuts down the whole band practice to let you know, like, we're going to do this until one of them gets this part because they're not going my tempo. He spends hours. And like you said, the scene is beautiful scene where Neiman is playing and he's bleeding from blisters on his hand. Fletcher is yelling at him, screaming at him, banging stuff, throwing stuff. So he get, keeps playing faster and faster. And the blood is dripping on the drum as he's blood playing. And sweat. Blood, sweat, tears, everything he's leaving on that drum set. And then finally, Finally says the part's yours, Neiman. You earned the part, and then they can start practice. They can start practice after the 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 the, the pain this man has just gone through for like three hours to get to the point where Fletcher feels like he's perfect. But that, like I said, that's the motivation. That is the method of his madness. Motivation versus obsession, though. True. I think you have to be obsessive in th- things that you want to succeed at. That was, and yeah, but then that brings us to your your next scene that you brought up where he is in that position. He has earned the part. He's not, he doesn't want to do anything to lose the part. And then he starts having a series of bad luck where he's Yeah, like, a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, his car busts. They have to be at a competition uh, at a certain point and they all have to make their own way there. So his car pops a, a tire and then he has to get on a bus. Oh no, the bus pops a tire and then he right. has to get a rental car and, and then, then he gets f- in an accident. Not yet. And then he finally gets there uh, after he gets this rental car, rushes to the to the to the competition just to find that he left his drumsticks at, at the, the rental, rental car, car company. Yeah. And he can't tell Fletcher this because Fletcher's going to think he's incompetent like he did with the first guy who gave him the notebook that got lost. And he doesn't want to lose his part to Connolly. So he lies and just says, I left him in the car. He's actually rushing back to the rental car company to get his sticks. And. Being so rushed, he gets into a car accident. He gets T-boned, and most people would, you know, go to the hospital after that. But he limps to the competition, bleeding, hands broken, and tries to play. Like that's insane. That's obsession, right? And then basically, you know, Fletcher is like, "You're, you're done. You're done. You're done. It's it's over." They try to play caravan, uh, and he's like. You're done. Fletcher's humiliated. Yes. You have to understand that Fletcher demands perfection, and this is far short of perfection, uh, this performance. And it angers him. He just dismisses him. And then after that, you know, uh, Naaman and Fletcher get into a confrontation on stage. He attacks Fletcher. Like, he snaps. That That's the point where he can't take it anymore. He, he jumps over the drum set and it tries to kill him, but his body's so broken he can't do anything. It's like WWE on a stage. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. really it, it's interesting because you see how big Fletcher is compared to him. He could just break him Fletcher in half, murder him. But he didn't. He's so mentally broken. He want he wants, but he wants to break him down in a different context. So after this, after he's dismissed, I think that they want to do an investigation. He's expelled from college. Yeah, he's expelled from college, but after that, he wants to his uh, dad is in contact with some sort of lawyer and wants mm-hmm. to do an investigation into... Oh yeah, uh, Sean Casey. We, we forgot, we skipped over Sean Casey. Uh, uh, the young man that 
killed himself. Nick, this is the one time you probably see Fletcher show any emotion. He comes into class very somber. It's the same class that he spends three hours making these guys fight over this part. But in the beginning, he's very sad. He plays them a CD of a student, a past student who he says died in a car accident. And when you read the screenplay, you learn that the young man who was at the first competition who introduces himself, uh, Fletcher, to his daughter. Mm-hmm. And Fletcher says, you're going to play for me when you're a big girl? And she says, yeah, that's Sean Casey. Okay. And uh, yeah, Fletcher say, says he's died in a car accident. And it turns out we learned through the lawyer that Sean Casey killed himself, committed suicide. And they think it was in due to PTSD at the hands of Fletcher, just years of abuse from Fletcher. If you were abused by somebody and then they meet you, it's kind of like if you were abused by like a... An R&B star, and then that R&B star meets your kid, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna come hang out with you." It's just like, f- but no, it, it's it's just that shame that people who have felt abuse feel, and you know, mm-hmm. and that on top of everything else that life deals with you, you know, it, it's a horrible scene that you have to you have to go through, and then that kind of lets name and knows like this guy is kind of like a monster, like he pushes people too hard. He uh, gets involved with this lawsuit and essentially snitches on Fletcher. Yeah, you know, his name is never revealed or anything like that in the lawsuit, but he he comes forward as an unidentified witness and he goes on about his life. Um, His obsession with music seems to be... Stunted? Yeah, I would say stunted. I mean, he, he he's working in some sort of restaurant or something. Yeah, at this time, he doesn't right? even play music really. Yeah, he uh, doesn't play music. But and that's he, interesting because that's what happens when people get abused. Uh, you heard that a lot with actresses who were involved in the Harvey Weinstein. Like after the abuse, they didn't want to act anymore, right? Because every every time they did it, they associated that act with the abuse mm-hmm. and so yeah he became kind of complacent kind of more like his father so to yeah speak, just... i would say so yeah that, that's that's definitely that's really good yeah he becomes like his dad who is really complacent yeah, in life just goes with the flow he yeah. has a routine this, this is our life like when we go to the movies on this day you know right yeah uh but you know what i think happens is that he misses the thrill mm. he misses the, the competition the competition the quest no, for yeah. perfection Validation. so he 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 seeks out fletcher let's let's call it what it is he he seeks out fletcher follows him to a jazz club basically uh that's basically where uh, Fletcher is making his money nowadays. Relegated. It's, yeah, because he can, he's shamed from the educational world. He can no longer teach, so he's a jazz pianist This now. is the equivalent if you walked into uh, Applebee's and saw Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good one, actually. And you'd be like, wow, this, this great person has been relegated to this. You know, he's a lounge pianist. Right. Pianist, pretty much. Yeah, so basically Fletcher and Naaman catch up over a drink. Uh, Fletcher basically tells about his uh, dismissal from Schaefer. And, you know, you know, he's basically way more reserved toned down this is a guy it seems that you can have a conversation with as an equal would you yeah. not say that yeah now that that shroud of, of instructor student has been removed mm-hmm. Fletcher does open up more about his intentions and his reasonings behind his methods and he really he explains the story of uh, Charlie Parker right for those of you who don't know Charlie Parker Bird uh, one of the greatest Charlie Parker was one of the instrumental figures of making 18th and Vine one of the premier jazz hotspots in America 
And he was just known for innovating and known for pushing the envelope and dedicating himself to the craft. And he told him the story of how he became Bird. Like Charlie Parker's nickname was Bird. But he tells him like, there's Charlie Parker, the person, and then Bird is the legend. And he didn't become Bird until somebody threw a symbol at his head. Right. Uh, somebody he admired threw a symbol at his head and humiliated him in front of a room full of people he was playing. And that pushed him to practice his ass off. And then he was able to go back and impress that person, become that individual, become that legend, become the great person he was training to be. You know, he was just like, I just wanted to motivate you guys and sometimes you got to throw a symbol at somebody's head after that you know they do become you know you think there's a bond struck up they're more peers musicians and then he invites them to play with his band uh, yeah at the festival at this festival and this is kind of like his reintroduction you know maybe this is my way back into music i'll let you go into that which is the climax of the film but a very important climax i mm-hmm. would say uh so the wool is about to be pulled from andrew's eyes uh as flesh Fletcher brings him in. They're getting ready to go on stage, get ready to play. Fletcher reveals to him that he knows it was him that was the unidentified witness. And then furthermore, they're about to play something that uh, Naaman has no clue about the musical notes or anything like that. It's a song that he's completely unfamiliar with. This is his big grand scheme. I think that there's two ways to really look at this because Fletcher, he's had his fall from grace. And he's about to rise up again. But the fact that he wants revenge so bad, it seems like he's just willing to sabotage even himself. Very true. Just to get back at this kid for the whole, you know, mental psychological warfare. But then again, I think secretly deep down inside Fletcher's like, I want you to be Charlie Parker. Do something great. I'm willing to go down with the ship. If you want to rise up together, we can do that. But I'm willing to take you down and take myself down at the same time. I mean, what do you think about this? Because no, this is just that's super interesting. interesting cuz it could it could be either side of that coin where it's just like he's such an egotistical a uh, terrible person that he is willing to sabotage his own performance to let him know I know it was you and I will get revenge. And, you know, he humiliates him. And that's the scene I was talking about earlier where he runs off the scene, runs off the stage and hugs his father. And it's just like, and you're right, he could have just been pushing him based off of the next scene. But it was such a cringeworthy scene. I've never seen a scene like it. I've never seen a situation like that where a drummer and it, 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 he, I love that the uh, Damien Giselle points out the importance of the drummers, mm-hmm. just how like. If one one person's off, like I said, it, it throws the song like the song off. But the drummer completely takes. <laughs> I kind of want to just interject real fast. I took a uh, philosophy class uh, while in college and they talked about the importance of drumming and saying that that was probably actually the very first instrument. Mm-hmm. And what the drum symbolizes is the heartbeat. That's why we have the boom, 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 boom. And they believe that's how the drum was conceived. So if you put it in a context of thousands and thousands and thousands of years later in Fletcher's band, the drum is essentially the heartbeat, the lifeblood of this performance and how critical Miles Teller's performance is in his uh, performance as a musician is to this overall performance of the band. I just think that it's really interesting that 
you pointed out that Chazelle said, no, the drum is really important because it really is the heartbeat. I was actually listening to a musician who uh, re- watched the movie and they wanted them to review it. And he thought it was very interesting how Damien Chazelle used. He pointed it out and I never noticed it, uh, but he said like people who professionally do music would notice it. Fletcher continuously apologizes to the band and says, I apologize to the musicians Mm -hmm. as if to separate the drums from real musicians. Like, Mm -hmm. and he, he spoke about how like the drums was always looked upon as not music. Like they don't have solos. They don't play music. Uh, And that's one of the, the, that's what he was saying. Like he loved the solo at the end because he showed the range of the drum and just like how somebody can play a solo and actually like not only play a beat, but have like rhythm, have, mm-hmm. you know, everything you need for somebody to say that's a definitive piece of music. But yeah, that, that's something I found really interesting mm-hmm. how Fletcher would, would fuck with the drummers mm-hmm. and even just, you know, belittle them to be like, OK, everybody else are musicians and you're just beating that drum mm-hmm. over there. And that was super interesting to me. But yeah, his his uh, the climax, like I said, was this solo, which was an amazing I have that on my Spotify list, just uh, yeah, Caravan. I, with, I used to listen to it on YouTube oh. uh, all the time. It, and if you actually, there's a, I can't remember the musician's name, but he actually plays it in concert. And the amount of sweat pouring off this man, just because of how intense and the upbeat tempo of the um, music is just amazing. Yeah, let's start from the beginning. So like I said, he runs from the stage into his father's arms weeping because he's just been humiliated again. And he loses, he's pretty much, you lost. Like you can't do anything in this situation. And his dad's telling him, it's okay, son. Don't worry about it. Everything will be okay, let's go. And he thinks to himself like, no, Fletcher's not gonna win. I'm going to, like at that point, what, like at that point I was like, what could he possibly do? Because as a musician, you never think to play without a conductor. That's like period, point blank, rule number one, you never play without the conductor. Mm -hmm. So to do that, I was just blown away. Like at like a band geek, just like, oh no, he didn't. And he goes back on stage and he starts playing Caravan by himself. And then the other uh, the other musicians in the band are so confused that they're just like, I guess we're going to start playing Caravan. Right, right. And I love that in the Spotify version, they they leave that in. It's just like the, the bass starts on a confused note, like kind of a slow doom, doom, doom. Like he's mm-hmm. just picking up. And he pretty much takes over Fletcher's band, hijacks the band from Fletcher, which is embarrassing for a band director to not be the one directing a band. And he's just like, all right, I got to go with it. Like at this point, Neiman's steering the ship. Right. He is, he's pretty much directing Fletcher. Like he's directing everybody. Like I'll tell you when to come in, you know, and Fletcher is just, uh, at, at, he's telling, he's talking shit to him while he's playing. I'm going to kill you. Like, you know, and he doesn't care. He's just looking at him like, yeah, I'm right here with you. Like he's letting Fletcher know I'm, I'm here for everything you have. Let's go. Let's be, let's fight. Mm-hmm. And he sees it in his eyes. Like at that point, he sees like this kid is serious. Like, He's got it. Right. He gets into it with him and he gets to the point where Fletcher knows like he's become the teacher again. He's like guiding him. He's telling him, yes, go up, go down, slow it down. It's just a beautiful scene. Yeah, definitely. I basically feel the same thing. I don't really have too much more to add to it. I was just taken aback by the fact that, you know, he came back on stage and he hijacked the band. But then he and Fletcher worked together towards the end 
of the music um, and it, uh, the end of the performance. And it was just magnificent. I yeah. mean, just to watch these uh, two battling minds come together and form something that was just a scene so powerful, a uh, score so powerful. I just really thought it was one of those very iconic scenes in movie cinematic history. Yeah, absolutely. Two enemies. Yeah, two in- two enemies converging and working together. Yeah, it's a beautiful scene. I've never seen a mentor type movie like this where it's not a clear-cut villain and you don't know if Fletcher is a bad guy or a genius you see what the product is and you can't deny there was some sort of validity in the the method he used Mm -hmm. because Neiman obtained that god level it was almost like went super saiyan right and went to his final form that was just something so amazing to watch just watching the look of awe on his father's face and the look of awe on fletcher's face Mm -hmm. you really got the sense like it was a combination of these two things to make this great you know musician it's just an amazing movie and i love it so much if you have not seen it please do yourself a service and watch it man like definitely it's 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 so different and yeah i just can't praise it enough like uh can you even think of any negatives for the film no i i really it's a short and sweet i love self-contained films where it's like not over the top or drawn out or too many characters or too many side stories Mm -hmm. like this is legitimately the only side stories we have is neiman and his his girlfriend and neiman and his father and both of those play into neiman's main story no real nitpicks on my end me neither like this is one of those few movies i i'd say is is as close as we could probably get to a perfect film. And I don't know if I love it so much because I, I was a musician mm-hmm. and I understood the film on a, maybe a deeper level, but you seem to also have that appreciation for it. Yeah. Um, I was by no means a musician growing up. I, I couldn't play an instrument to play my, to save my life. However, I had a, an educator that was just like, um, Fletcher in the seventh grade, seventh, eighth grade. Uh, He was my former English teacher. And don't get me wrong. He never, you know, put his hands on us, but he challenged us to be greater. Uh, We it was a seventh grade English class. But, you know, rather than going over adjectives and stuff like that, he's like, you don't he's like in the real world. You don't need to know about that. You need to learn about savings, earnings, stuff like that. You need to learn about uh the greater themes of life, like uh, symbolism, irony. So he started showing us movies like The Old Man and the Sea. He read us Hemingway. Uh, we went over The Odyssey, The Iliad. This is These are works that are for college students, basically. He um, challenged, us, challenged us greatly to be better people. He had us at 12 years old write an epitaph. Like an epitaph that would be on our gravestone. Like, what do you want people to know about you? And then he looked at them. He's like, you really want people to remember you for this? No, you have to think about yourself in a greater, finer light. Um, And it was interesting because I ran into him literally two years ago. And I thought this man had to be dead or something because this man was literally having a heart attack during our English class one day and he's like no 
I'm going to continue to teach you. And this guy was perspiring. His chest was getting tight. And he's like, this lesson is important. And if it's my last lesson, I'm going to teach it because you got, I want to impart this knowledge on you. But I ran into him uh, two years ago and I thanked him. I thanked him for the knowledge that he gave us. I was like, you know, you really taught me about um, looking at things critically, uh, looking at the history of the earth, uh, not necessarily just in the now, understanding um, that I'm not going to agree with anybody always. uh, But, you know, it's important to have that dialogue. I mean, he taught us how to mock debate in the <laughs> in the eighth grade. I mean, these are things that a seventh and an eighth grader don't necessarily need to know. But you, when somebody comes with a set of facts, you come with your own set of facts. It's not about your feelings, uh, basically, is what he was teaching us. And so, you know, I don't have that background in music, but I, in terms of mentorship and somebody who I looked up to, that's where the film touched me on that level. Yeah. I mean, if we are talking in terms of mentorship, if I give my roses also. Six years, Russell Davis at Paseo Academy. I was literally the best instructor I ever had in my life. He was so much more than just a teacher to everybody in our band class. Like a lot of us didn't have father figures and Russ was that guy. Like he was the one, no nonsense. And so much of this movie reminded me of Fletcher, but not in like the super abusive sense, but like the no nonsense, like I'm going to call you out. Like you're going to feel bad about it in, but you're going to understand the reason behind it. Like you're going to be a better person for it. And we didn't have that in a lot of our lives. Like he was the guy who was going to sit us down and be like, you're acting like a horse's ass. You are talented. You have so much potential. But if you keep acting like this, I'm going to keep calling you out. I'm going to do everything to discourage this behavior from you. So if you have to be my enemy, that's totally cool because I see something in you and I'm going to keep working at that until we get to that. Or you're just going to be the guy I talk about. And Davis was like, he called us all out on our BS. Like mm-hmm. if we if we weren't practicing, he knew because it showed in our music and he was going to stop the whole show and be like, you play. What's going on? Like, what do you do when you go home? Right. Like, I see you out here in the hallway talking and laughing and blah, blah, blah. Like, why aren't you spending that energy on the music? And he made sure we appreciated music and he made sure we were cultured. And especially whenever we went to the competitions uh, and that though, I love the competition scenes because that's how it was. Like everybody, the director was represented by their band. Like, and you know, the way Fletcher put on that, that false persona, like this Mm -hmm. is the, you know, that's exactly how it was. And Davis was sure to tell us before we stepped off that bus, like you are here representing our school in me. And more importantly, you are representing our community because there's a lot of schools out here who have never seen black people. There are a lot of people who are going to see you and assume something. And I'll be damned if you give them the reason to think any of those stereotypes are true. Russell Davis has never put his hands on any of us. But God's honest truth, we had the fear of God. And like he was a parent, like we knew 
we ain't going to cross him. Right. And that played such a huge part into my life. You know, I could have been one of those individuals who just did not respect authority, who just did not understand certain people are trying to be hard on you to make you better. And Russell Davis was the one who taught me that. So definitely want to give my Russell, uh, give my roses to that individual who played such a huge part to everybody at Paseo Academy. And, you know, he, he, he deserves and award himself definitely you know to those two educators you know i, I hate that vote that did they of those educators probably are over because oh yes you definitely. can't have honest heart to hearts with kids anymore I, you can't even have like a meeting with a kid alone anymore no you i mean i, I think they're those type of educators that are more critical of your work are very important uh i take education very seriously so if a teacher is doing it with the best intentions and not trying to be abusive or cruel to a child, I think that's fair because you you definitely need a motivator. You definitely need a mentor that's going to push you forward and give you that momentum toward excellence. And I think a lot of times parents just want their kids to be in a very safe space. Yeah, participation trophies. Yeah, and that's not how life actually works. Uh, do you want your child to be a worker ant or do you want them to be uh, a general or a queen and you know, those are those are the kinds of things that you have to think of. Do you want them to be a soldier or what? Uh, so life is not always about following orders in the strictest way sometimes you have to break out of that mold and you have to challenge yourself to be better but you know you're going to have to step out on a limb and you're going to have to do the work to reach that excellence yeah I, I and, all, and a fun fact for all those people who listen and actually know me in real life I have a, a term I say which is I bullshit you not and that is a term I got from Russell Davis because he he would drop that in in when we when he whenever he would drop that you knew he was serious because mm. at one point he before a performance someone was acting up he was like I will pull you out of my band and make you sit on this on the bus and I will go on that stage without a tuba or whatever the instrument was I bullshit you not and we all knew Russell Davis would go on that stage without a tuba and just be like all right this is what we playing today but it's like it's like fletcher like fletcher was willing to to be like hey you're going i'm not gonna have a a, a drum set this this performance but right. i'm gonna make a point but yeah um overall what score would you give this film i think this is as close as i can give to a nine and a half for me I was going to give it a 9.5 out of 10 as well. I think this is an excellent movie, and I definitely would recommend our audience to take the time out to watch it. It's not very long, but it is a movie that I think that you should add to your library and definitely uh, take the time out to view. Absolutely. So with that being said, we must bid you adieu. <laughs> and now the time has come no yeah thank you all for joining us once again this is urban alchemy podcast uh with the wonderful educated eric hawthorne oh and i'm here with the wonderful phenomenal talented exuberant john michael banks thank you thank I'm you i'm blessed with your presence your aura rains down upon me sir thank you sir thank you i'm trying out here uh <laughs> but yeah make sure you are emailing us and staying in contact if you have any questions or suggestions for any reviews moving forward i am moving back into doing interviews i had taken a break just because i was super busy with other things but i'm slowly getting back into it so be on the lookout for those and our 
our relationship talks on Friday. So this episode's music once again is provided to us by our old friend Dre period in his new track Better Than This. Be sure to check out all of our musical guests we feature on this show via Spotify on our playlist Urban Alchemy playlist and also be sure to join the community on Facebook by liking and following our Facebook fan page Urban Alchemy Podcast as well as our Facebook community page Facebook support group and yeah we will continue to grow. Also we have a Patreon. Uh, We are trying to get funds so we can do upgrades to the studio like you don't understand I've been doing steady upgrades and if you listen to the show you can listen to the steady progression of the production value as it increases so if you would like to contribute and support us in that endeavor it is urban alchemy backslash patreon.com if you want to support us and support the people we support please think about contributing once a month it could be as low as one dollar a month whatever your budget's at so if you believe in the mission please help us out so yeah i got anything else for us eric no no just uh looking forward to the next movie review what movie you want to do next you want to do something like the prestige oh you read my mind stop there lock it in lock it in you read you literally boom Uh, okay next time we're going to do a review of the prestige christopher nolan's follow-up to batman begins uh we will do that we won't give you our opinions now but please stay tuned to that i think you all will be very interested to hear that particular review hell yeah so yeah this is our show thank you all once again for joining us you all stay safe and stay blessed we will catch you all later peace what do you think you're saying fuck all the games you're playing see i doubt it love would stay when my heart went a separate way then i see that the world keep turning so why do i feel like running away I think I did it, I think I did it, I think I did it. I think I did it, I think I did it, I think I did it. I think I did it, I think we should have been quitted. I think that this ship been finished. I never thought that we hit it, no. Not the mark that we wanted to hit. This is the part of the song where I did common sense. Yeah, I'm gone off the shits. Yeah, this part done came through the grits of a life that pain me to live. No, my heart ain't gone from the shits, but I'm gone off the shits. Yes, I'm gone off the shits. Never wanted to miss your love from my hip. Love gonna take shots in my fit. Now my heart be racing the shit. And I'm just here racing the shit. Cause I can't see where this is coming from. No, I can't see where this is coming from. Cause I can't see where this is coming from. No, 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 no. What do you think you're saying? Fuck all the games you're playing. See, I doubt it love would stay when my heart went a separate way. Then I see that the world keep turning. So why do I feel like running away toward the day when shit gets better than this? So what do you think you're saying? Fuck all the games you're playing. See, I doubt it love would Stay when my heart went a separate way down. I see that the world keep turning. So why do I feel like running away toward the day?